first I say a toe to you know what? A toe to A fucking a toe to Welcome to this free episode of The Bottleman. It is once again me and my joined by my able co-host Dan Hello. Uh, to bring you some more of that classic Canada chat uh, that I'm sure you have been missing uh, with me back from my uh, uh, long series of holidays, finally. And, uh, and me uh, still in Montreal. Yeah, that's right. I've not left this city in over 18 months now. Uh, no, no, uh, it's, it was, it's, it's the daily, uh, the daily clown march outside your house, I think is something you couldn't easily give up. Yep. That's right. That's right. I love to walk outside and see a terrifying, uh, like 1940s style clown on stilts waving to me from, uh, behind the branches of a tree. You know what I think really makes, look, I think Montreal seems like a very cool city. It's somewhere I'd really like to go. But what makes it feel quite, um, I, what I think the worst element of it is, is that it has all the clowns of France, but sort of the general social vibe of Brooklyn. So yes. it's all kind of intentional, uh, edgy clowns that seem to be, again, if you're, if, if you're one of the listeners who's party to our WhatsApp conversations, who seem to be a nearly constant feature of your life. For lately, the last couple of weeks, they have been a constant feature of my life. And it's kind of contextualized this, this conversation that's going on about, um, you know, the election and whether, uh, whether, you know, Quebecois people have a specific take on racism. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, hard to parse out for people who don't live here. And that's really because there's so much uh, anti-clown violence on the streets <laughs> you know you you're you're walking down the street you're a clown uh you're nine feet tall uh you mm-hmm. have like corn silk uh for hair you have a horrible rictus painted on your face and and you're uh just kind of creeping like a spider through the park and someone looks at you and shrieks and knocks you on the ground you know <laughs> that's not something oh, that's not something a person in british columbia has to deal with you know i don't see somebody no. in vancouver putting their clown outfit on and uh getting pelted with garbage for instance yeah well it's uh you know no no resident of uh, uh of cowichan lake ever called ever called me bozo you know <laughs> that's right <laughs> but um look I, I think we also have to understand right that the divisions in our society uh, you know, between uh, the clowns and normal or other divisions as well. I can't think of any. Yeah. The Harlequin class, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the Lumpen Clownitariat. Uh, <laughs> these divisions, um, as look, as we've discussed, I think, on this episode, on this, on this episode. To the barricades, honk, honk. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, the, the, the tricolor of blue hair, white face, red nose. <laughs> Um, uh, the, uh, we've discussed uh, many times before, right, that, uh, obviously none of these sort of, uh, deep, uh, animating, um, you know, horrible, uh, uh, sort of hierarchies in Canadian society that lead people to be, um, I don't know if they dissatisfied, uh, with, um, living here and therefore sort of, let's say, open to alternatives, uh, <laughs> those, those, um, 
those uh, divisions obviously aren't from anything inside Canada, not from any part of our history, not from the uh, you know the the fact that sort of much of much of what we still do relies on uh, the dispossession of people who are considered to be less worthwhile. No, no, no. All of these divisions are imposed from outside, and of course. By disinformation and things of that nature, uh, you know, I um, by by clowns who come in with uh, uh, scarily painted faces, often from Russia. Uh, True. We must support our brave Ukrainian clowns. Um, so, fortunately, though, uh, for uh, clowns and normals alike, uh, the Canadian uh, Department of National Defense has issued a uh, a new contest, an innovation challenge, as a matter of fact. Um. I love NATO, innovation, and uh, I think most Canadians do as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why everyone's moving to Alberta, because it has the most innovation centers per Calgary, even outside uh, the uh, bustling metropolis of Toronto. That's right. Um, no, so the, uh, there's a NATO innovation challenge that the Canadian Institute for Defense Excellence and Security, or IDEAS, which... I'm sorry, what's that name again? Oh, uh, IDEAS, uh, the Innovation for Defense Excellence... And security, uh, someone really, they, I, they definitely did think of the acronym first, I think, in this oh, case. Yeah. <laughs> I've known at least four different institutions that have been, had the acronym IDEAS, three of them in Canada, one of them in LSE, <laughs> and another two that have had the acronym MARS. I don't understand, why, why do we have, we should get, a, we should get a damn institute for coming up with new acronym, acronym ideas. Well, Canadian That's my idea. solve that, you know, like once we set up Canadian DARPA, uh, I'd say about an eighth of it is going to go to uh, acronym um, innovation, and uh, another part of it's going to go to sort of allowing... Uh, the O'Toole clone factory that they have, they're going to open that up to the uh, general public and create a new source of protein for uh, hungry Canadians. Yeah, well, it's like it's like The Economist is constantly saying, it's like, look, you're going to have to get used to eating bugs or the O'Toole clones. It's like one of the uh, one or the other. Yeah, um, I'm starting now. <laughs> the problem with the O'Toole clones is that like you've got like a 75 percent chance of getting uh, listeria. It's not good. Yeah, they're only good for a few minutes after you open them up. No, you got to eat them like an ortolan, yeah. hole in one bite. It's covering like, your face from God. It's like Taco Bell. Like you've got about a you've got about a five minute drive away from the takeout window before that shit is bad. <laughs> the best to eat your O'Toole's fresh. Yeah, well, it's in Niagara on the Lake. Actually, you could go to uh, some of the farmers markets. You could actually pick them right off the vat. Oh, I love uh, but, it. I love it. Artisanal O-Tools. Yeah. Uh, uh, NATO Innovation Challenge. The Invisible Threat, colon, Countering Cognitive Warfare. So, uh, the Canadian National Defense Department has uh, issued a contest. You can apply now. So, we'll include the link for that in the description. Um, please, no joke applications, right? Yeah, this has to be These completely are, serious. You can't, yeah. uh, you can't say, you know, the you're going to uh, build a giant clown Gundam for the Quebec market. Yeah. No, no, no. That would be silly. And these are federal employees and you'd be wasting taxpayer money and you're probably a taxpayer. So that's kind of your own money you're wasting if you waste these people's time. Uh, no, so the, the challenge, the innovation for defense excellence and security. Uh, what's that acronym again? Ideas, baby. 
<laughs> the ideas program at Canadian Special Operations Forces Command, Cansofcom, will be hosting the fall 2021 NATO Innovation Challenge. Uh, and I, I assume, yeah, they'll, they'll like everyone at that will get drunk and then someone will drive up like University Avenue in Toronto and just find no hospitals left. Uh, <laughs> The theme of this pitch style, if it, they can't, they can't even not write this. Like, what is special a pitch forces style guy. event? What is that? Well, it's uh, it, I, I kind of know this from TF. A pitch style event is like the 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 startup battlefield, like TechCrunch Disrupt, where you have to like okay, where it's basically like a sort of iterative Dragon's Den, where you um sort of pitch your idea, and you go up on stage with a little headset mic. And then you say, uh, you know, what if, uh, what if we had social media, but, uh, you know, where um, we let Trudeau edit all the posts kind of thing? Uh, you know, what if we did that thing that the Tories were actually sort of making up being scared about uh, to protect <laughs> ourselves from the scary Russians? Um, so the, NATO is looking for tools and measures to identify, assess and protect against attacks on NATO forces and NATO allies in the cognitive domain. The cognitive domain. The cognitive domain. So they, what they want is a real-time monitoring alert system for cognitive attacks. How do they define a cognitive attack, Riley? Uh, well, see, a cognitive attack is uh, basically uh, a little bit of a disinformatskaya. Uh, I know um, that word is bad yeah. because it sounds Russian. So, so <laughs> it, uh, quote, seeks to change not only what people think, but also how they act. So this is disinformation, misinformation, psychological and social engineering capabilities. Now, again, like... Oh, so I for fully instance, um, let's see. What's a good example of disinformation? Like if you were, say, uh, a member of a political party, maybe the finance minister, and you took a yeah. video of the opposition leader talking about healthcare and then edited it in a way that was sort of um, misleading, would that, would that be disinformation? Well, the thing is, disinformation uh, seeks to, uh, uh, um, here's what it is, so dissonance, instigate conflicting narratives, polarize opinion, and radicalize groups. Huh. So, you know, I, I don't see that as, um, say, you know, do, I know, if that was to happen, if anyone else was to do that, of course, that would be cognitive warfare. Um, and we would, of course, have to send the, uh, the, um, uh, NATO uh, tunneling machine under their <laughs> office to swallow it up into the earth. Orbital space and then put lasers. Another victims of put another victims of communism <laughs> memorial on top of it. Um, yeah, to cognitive warfare can motivate people to act in ways that can disrupt or fragment an otherwise cohesive society. Ensuring disorder can influence decision making, change ideologies, and generate distrust among allies. So uh, yeah, NATO wants to delete your posts. Basically, incredible, incredible. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. NATO wants to NATO wants to NATO wants to take your like uh, you know uh, low effort dunk on uh, AOC's dumb dress, uh, and it wants to uh, make you, of course, a uh, target for that. So if I if I question, say, um, uh, Canada giving potentially I don't know a couple billion dollars to let's say Estonia to develop an Iron Dome type uh, missile defense shield, that I uh, post something uh -huh. questioning that might phone will give me like a mild electric shock well yeah you'd be polarizing opinion and generating right. distrust among allies uh which we don't want to do we basically want to make sure uh that we invent a type of computer that makes it so that doesn't happen ah okay and 
And that's the idea in ideas, <laughs> right? Is that we're going to have some startup guys. Like, fortunately, what's really fortunate is that um, at, at best, what's going to happen is like some startup guys are just going to scam some money out of the defense department. And then, you know, the defense department's going to be like, all right, you know, turn on the, turn on the special, uh, you know, posts alarm. And then it's just, you're going to open it up. It's just going to be a rat on a wheel. Like, I, I don't see how this could possibly do anything um, unless they're going to be like, ah, you know, some, <laughs> some, some, dast- some dastardly uh, Moldovan hackers have decided to, um, you know, uh, have this? I've decided to uh, uh, you know build pipelines over unceded indigenous territories uh, throughout uh, BC. It's it's you know it's really incredible to see this sausage being extruded in real time, given like our coverage on uh, Dave Macman and um, clairvoyance uh, mm-hmm. from a couple episodes back. Because after after I read that uh, CSIS paper that came out like before the before the election cycle ramped up. You, I mean, you could draw a direct line from that paper to uh, mm-hmm. almost all the major party platforms talking about earmarking money for uh, f- to combat disinformation and this fucking mm-hmm. stupid program. Like, it works. It totally works. You work yeah. for an intelligence agency, then you start your own company analyzing intelligence, and you make recommendations to that intelligence agency, which produces a report that recommends more money be diverted to fighting disinformation, which will mm-hmm. eventually go back to your agency because you're in charge of determining what is and what isn't disinformation. Yeah, uh, and but that never ends, by the way. Never. You can never spend enough money on but basically like what if we did the hillary clinton correct the record thing but it was a government program and it was connected to the money printer <laughs> basically what if we did that i mean what if we just we hired we just were we, we had like uh, can, canada becomes a cottage industry of like mods basically <laughs> the mod no. farm outside of markham ontario <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know what else is? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm ninety percent sure uh, that some uh, some dastardly that same group of dastardly Moldovan hackers. Uh, I think they removed all of the serious plans to deal with the housing crisis uh, from all of the parties, major parties platforms. That's another thing that definitely happened. Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh shit! I, I have an idea for this uh, mm-hmm. for this symposium. I have an idea to mm-hmm. throw in the dragon's den. Um. So we've got a lot of problems in this country, right? Like that. It seems like Mm -hmm. that sounds like sowing discord in the country. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Okay. A lot of problems that uh, that that it seems like a lot of these uh, a lot of the mainstream parties aren't addressing in their platforms. This is an elegant solution to some of them. So housing, right? We we build a uh, arcology, if you will, of pods. and then we hire mods to go in those pods. Uh, okay. So people who don't want to, say, become this third class of worker that the conservative party is talking about, you know, they don't want mm-hmm. to become uh, like precariat gig workers. Um, you can instead be a mod and live in a pod, be connected to the pod, be in some sort of uh, suspended animation, a sort of un- unlife, if you will. Okay. Uh, and you'll have a place to live. Um it, the pod well you'll have a place to unlive you'll have a place to sort of experience a living what you're basically saying is we're going to sacrifice thousands of canadians every day oh, i wouldn't i wouldn't um, use the word sacrifice 
No, it's like the em- it's like the emperor's astronomic inquire. They are uh, they are being their synapses are being burned out. But you know the uh, the Facebook group, you know, um, Blacks for Bernier that has like three members and was created in Moldova is not going to destroy our democracy. That's right. It's a great idea. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, um, you can't take that idea because by the time this episode is out, we'll have pitched that already. Exactly. So sorry, everybody. Mod Pod. But, um, yeah, yeah. The Mod Pod. That's gonna be. That's gonna be. We're both going in the Mod Pod. Actually, we're we're not even gonna be podcasters anymore. It's too. There's too much money in Mod Pod. Yep. Jack me in. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, uh, I I wanted to. I wanted to. There's another sort of um, thing, right? Where it seems like. Some foreign disinformation sites, such as uh, the BBC, Reuters, it's uh, 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 like the front of the French sites. Um, a lot of sort of foreign news uh, elements seem like they might fall foul of all this uh, disinformation uh, 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 legislation because they seem to be indicating that our sweet, beautiful Michaels might actually have been engaging in some espionage in China. Our baby boys, <laughs> our sweet little lads, our sweet guys, our guys, our two no. mics. No, 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 no. I mean, no. so what, that, what? What's happened here? Well, what's happened is that uh, I I had the misfortune of listening to a Canada Land Shortcuts episode called Semen Retention Soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. Glad they finally talked about us. Yeah, exactly. A couple weeks too late, guys. Yeah, we go, we <laughs> got the we got the scoop on DOS. <laughs> Yeah, so the the final third of the episode uh, is entirely to do with um, what they refer to as a growing counter-narrative that maybe the two Michaels weren't just uh, hapless entrepreneurs caught up in a uh, reciprocal dragnet. You know, they they refer to this counter-narrative as a baby conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Um, What I want to just, just because we have so many uh, american and british listeners um shall we go shall we review who are our beautiful little michaels our beautiful michaels are uh two men both named michael uh mm-hmm. that's that's why we that's call the, them the two michaels that's the best that's the best thing about so them. there are two guys uh first name michael uh second guy's Last first name, name michael also michael the michael michaels Double Michaels. Yeah. Uh, they mm-hmm. are two Canadians who have been uh, incarcerated by the Chinese government, um, mm-hmm. mostly in a kind of a, a reciprocal, uh, a reciprocal way due to our our incarceration of uh, Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Mm-hmm. And what they did now, they both had sort of like like no spy has ever done this of course they both had sort of kind of poorly defined uh businessman jobs uh that they're working in the far east uh sort of in china korea etc um and it was uh michael michael spavor i believe who was um heavily heavily like an example right is that michael spavor uh his job was like being politically connected to um like the Kim dynasty in yeah. North Korea. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so so Michael Spavor who's referred to um on Canada land as an entrepreneur which is mm-hmm. which is in a way true uh but in another way is sort of uh 
is sort of dismissive of the really interesting thing about Spavor, which is, yes, he is possibly the most connected to the DPRK regime North American citizen. Like, yeah. more than any other American. I mean, Canada, for a country with an inferiority complex, you'd think that we'd be making a bigger deal out of this. Yeah, like that we brokered uh, the... Um, we brokered the visit between Dennis Rodman <laughs> when he went to North Korea. Um, and, like... Like, like he was just there, like, but his job is basically just being politically influential in North Korea. Yeah. Like he fixes up people with the Kims. Yep, not that's only his did, job. Not only did he fix Rodman, he was also responsible for. Uh, he had a hand in fixing uh, the Trump meeting, you know, mm-hmm. and and pe- and some peace talks as well. And it's mm-hmm. and it's like if you look at this guy's history, he has spent years cultivating these relationships. Even yeah. even going so far as to before he met uh, the dear leader, uh, getting to know an ex of of uh, of Kim Jong Il's and and also a former cook associated with the mm-hmm. regime, like this is years of cultivation to position himself uh, with unprecedented access, like unparalleled access yes. to this notoriously closed off and paranoid government. Yes. And like, like his uh, and look, I'm not saying that like he's and, and we'll get into sort of why they were arrested by China as well. But like, I don't know. This isn't like some guy who's over there working for Deloitte or something. This is absolutely someone who's very much like whose private sector job has definitely put them on the fringe of political connection, especially international and foreign policy political connection. Absolutely. This and, is, and I would, yeah. just as an aside, like I, w- I would say even without the arrest, right? Like mm-hmm. even, even without Spavor being arrested, it would be very worth covering this story, right? This is a fascinating mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's this, and it, sorry, it's sort of, it's a fascinating story that, uh, that, when you start reading about it, leads to a lot of questions. <laughs> and like, I don't know, do you spend 20 years cultivating a relationship between the Kims so you can run tours of North Korea and get like sponsors for those events? I, I don't, I don't know. That just, it doesn't seem right to me. Um, and moreover, right? Like to say like, oh, he's not a, he's not a, a spy. He's just a, a He's just a businessman. I sort of, uh, you know, I turn your attention to, for example, Zapata Petroleum. Uh, to, I turn your attention to uh, United Fruit. Um, sort of all of these, like, there has long been a sort of tradition of the, uh, let's say, adventuring businessman spy. Who might not even be a full-time spy, but who definitely um, gets support from his, uh, from his home country in exchange for doing some spy-like things. Very, very infrequently do people have like, especially in these industries, do people have just one job title, you know? And it's very poorly defined. And especially not at this level. Like I can't Mm -hmm. stress enough how, uh, how much access this like simple entrepreneur has to one of the most reclusive governments on the planet. (laughs) There I'm I'm looking at a photograph uh, right now of Spavor sitting at a table 
uh, on what appears to be looks like a boat um, mm -hmm. sharing a drink and leaning in and talking to the deer leader, you know, like, mm -hmm. like just, just hanging out with some pals. Ah, that'd be cool. Yep. Um, okay, well, that's if if that's your sort of um, you know brief introduction to Spavor. I'm sure Kovreg is um, absolutely is not involved in one of the other kinds of industries that frequently provides cover for spies abroad, right? Oh no! So actually, Kovreg works for something called the uh, the Crisis Group, International Crisis Group, which uh, was, I mean, you could probably guess what it does from the name. <laughs> But. Uh, no, uh, U.S. pursues U.S. intelligence goals uh, on the basis of being a ostensibly being a think tank. That's what I would imagine it does from the name. Bingo. So Crisis Group uh, started in 1995 with seed money from uh, Open Society Foundation. Classic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, further funding from former Finnish president Marty Antisari of the Social Democrat mm -hmm. Party. And former foreign minister of Australia, Gareth Evans, who donated half a million dollars to this wow, uh, organization. Love to, people love to donate to that. Oh, I was going to say, like, what it says it does is uh, works to prevent wars and maintain, quote unquote, global stability. Um, but weirdly, mm. this group has been involved in facilitating uh, NATO intervention in Yugoslavia, Afghanistan, Iraq. Mm. Uh, they back a secessionist movement in Ethiopia, and they are mm -hmm. uh, barred from operating in China. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, again, why, why, why I, if you if you are a kind of you know, um, you say like lib-brained uh, moron who who sort of tends to believe everything kind of at surface level, then yeah, you would say, well, of course they're not allowed to operate in China because China hates. Uh, because China really doesn't like human rights, as opposed to, well, of course, it's not allowed to operate in China because it is basically a NATO PR organization. Yeah, it is an organization designed to uh, dissolve governments that are that that the State Department decides they don't like. You know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I mean, mostly, sort of in the in the kind of early the the ICG sort of is is set up to manage. Based to as a, the ICG is set up after the transition of uh, most of the former Soviet Union to um well to, to whatever happened sort of post communism, and then sort of stays kind of focused especially um on uh on the Balkans um and doesn't really kind of doesn't really kind of get into uh the rest of the war on terror. Uh, sorry, it doesn't really sort of it doesn't really get into the war on terror until really starting to spend more money on sort of advocating for it uh, until about um, two thousand and eight. Um, and but like you know, it's also will sort of get involved in Israel Palestine again, making the sort of predictable uh, you know um, um, predictable recommendations. So they would, for example, say that they that what they basically do right is they come in as an independent organization to then make a recommendation to like the Bush administration that they do what the Bush administration already wanted to do, um, which is basically to be like, uh, you know, no return to, to no, like things like uh, no return to 67 um, uh, 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 borders, uh, annex the bulk of West Bank colonists uh, and, 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 
and keep the Palestinian state kind of um, disjointed and completely disarmed, keep U.S. peacekeepers there, uh, and and so and, and invite Israel uh, into NATO, um, <laughs> and you know, so on. Uh, but like, it's the, not consent yeah. manufacturing; it's more like consent greasing. It's like we've just, <laughs> you know, like we've decided to do this thing, and we got to put the thing in the tube, and we need to grease yeah. the tube. and i mean like just like just like anything right you know the um the 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 crisis group basically whereas this is because sort of i think a lot of um a lot of a lot a lot of intelligence is quite like fragmented and stuff it tends to be people pursuing uh goals to do with fiefdoms and so on um uh kovrig and spavor uh couldn't really have couldn't be involved with more opposite organizations right mm-hmm. um like the paid coup cultural exchange is sort of looking for negotiation and 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 it, it sort of uh, takes the soft approach to to somewhere like north korea whereas somewhere like um uh the, the international crisis group uh has you know uh, sort of in again in the in the bush era basically created a plan that all ended in an, a reinvasion of the korean peninsula um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They, they actually said that um, that whilst any military conflict on the Korean Peninsula would be a catastrophe, this must be balanced against the the prospect of Pyongyang proliferating and supplying other countries and terrorist groups with nuclear bombs, making no city in the world safe. If such, if the chances of such harm occurring are real, the military option, however horrifying, must be kept at the table. Um, right. So it's not like these guys are. I, I wouldn't have get. I wouldn't say really. That the two Michaels are like we're likely working for like the same boss, of course, or we're like yeah. uh, you know Canadian Canadians in ch- and again you have to be a quite literally minded person um, to see well there's no chance they could have been connected to intelligence because they didn't have the same boss they didn't wear a little name tag that said I'm a spy you know they weren't part of the you know Canadian you know, foreign foreign spy corps or whatever well Can- you know? Canada lands gotcha on uh, why talking about uh why why the idea that either of the michaels could be uh doing nefarious spy-like things in china is is a conspiracy theory is that Mm -hmm. um because spavor posted a picture of him and the deer leader and that was also reprinted in a newspaper yeah so therefore it's not spying as if that's the only thing he would have ever done right (laughs) like Yeah, because, of course, because Dear Leader is an enemy of Canada, and a spy is like a soldier of Canada, Mm -hmm. and a soldier of Canada would never have taken a picture with an enemy of Canada. Of course. Case closed. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's because these people are so literally minded, you know, where the idea that these, the idea that both of these guys could actually have been doing this thing in China, even if they were also doing doing sort of lots of other stuff mm-hmm. like this is the, the fact of how like assets are cultivated could they, they they could have easily been assets as well they don't necessarily need to have like worked for the canadians they don't necessarily need to have worked for CSIS. but like yeah this I don't is think a, you become it's a very like a uh, john le carré novel uh definition yeah. of intelligence work like <laughs> <laughs> like i don't think you necessarily need to be working for CSIS 
for someone and cease for to have say a relationship with Cesis, where you're a guy in North Korea who's the closest any Westerner has ever been to the Kims. <laughs> This is and your professional capacity as a guy and not be kind of known to them and in contact with them, right? Yeah. Like you, it'd be, you're Michael Spavor. Like, Ceases gets in touch with you and is like, like assuming that you're not working for them already. Ceases gets in touch yeah. with you. Uh, we saw your picture of uh, uh, you and Kim. Um, you got a dish. Tell us everything you know. And you're like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm doing this for the love yeah. of entrepreneurship. I'm just a small <laughs> businessman trying to make my way in the world. And I don't need big government getting involved with my small business <laughs> of uh, doing uh, tours to North Korea and um, fixing meetings with the uh, head of state of the United States, uh, with the president and uh, the leadership of the DPRK. Just uh, stay out of my business, man. That's what you do. Obviously, obviously, that's what's happening. I'll always trying to keep a, a, a businessman down. Yeah. Whereas with 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 Kovrig, I think it's a little like, you know, like all of like any any anyone who's working for like a sort of you know saber rattling, uh, you know, um, basically uh, intervention uh, torpedo tube greasing uh, NGO, <laughs> you know, uh, you're if you're not if you're not directly working for intelligence, you're doing the work that intelligence wants you to do certainly. And again, like. An international crisis group employee who used to work in the um, at, you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs who gets stationed in Hong Kong. All those motherfuckers are spies. Yes. With all of them. All of the, 100% of them. And like it's, it's, you know, to move the goalposts and be like, and be like it is only a spy if, uh, if, if it's uh, wearing, a, wearing a long brown trench coat and has a hat and, uh, and like a, a shotgun microphone pointing at a window, you know. <laughs> it's like look, look buddy all right you'll never be a spy if you can't cut the eye holes out of a newspaper exactly. okay exactly. it's never happening for you um yeah. and uh right like i and again like it's i think it's also probably true right that yeah these guys were probably yeah, that's probably right. They were probably detained reciprocally. Definitely. Because Definitely. most of the most of the Huawei people also especially most of the Huawei people where China wants to build infrastructure probably also work for the Chinese government. And it's like the sort of simple and and it seems like the rest of the world's media is able to metabolize the fact that Spavor and Kovrig are probably at least intelligence connected. Uh, but Canadian media seems to be completely unable to shed this sort of, uh, oh, oh, we, we have suffered a thousand insults and we, the innocent, have been wronged again, you know, by the perfidious Chinese. No, exactly. And my, re my real issue with this is that, you know, uh, the week that this came out, the uh, one edition of the Globe and Mail had a cover that was just entirely like prison hash marks, a mm -hmm. thousand of them representing the days uh, that one of the Michaels had been in solitary, mm -hmm. which, yeah. you know, on the Canada land episode, they rightly sort of assess that as uh, an emotional response. Like that is emotional coverage of this, mm -hmm. um, you know, geopolitical issue that involves us and and, uh, and China. Right. But then, so there's that, there's that type of coverage. And then you have an outlet like Canada land that positions itself as, um, you know, kind of unconnected to the same, disconnected from the same sort of 
financial flows that maybe bias other media, uh, mm-hmm. the same kind of politics that maybe bias other media. They are an adversarial organization. You know, they would mm-hmm. do a lot of media criticism. But the conclusion that they come to is exactly the same as the Globe and Mail mm-hmm. or a completely unhinged Terry Glavin column. And in a way, mm-hmm. it's almost more destructive because, you know, you listen to this episode and you hear them not just dismissing, but sort of mocking the idea that our two Michaels could be anything but uh, entrepreneurs, you know? Yeah. Uh, mocking the, uh, the idea that you should look into this or maybe this warrants more attention as a conspiracy theory. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of information gatekeeping in a way. I, I think like it's it's tough, right? Because it's it, it sort of it almost goes back to like the um the the sort of like lines the NDP won't cross, right? Where yeah. they're pretty good on, on, on certain things. Yeah. But because yeah. they're because what they're doing is trying to do, you know, politics is elite consensus, uh, there are certain there are certain things they can't see, right? And I think if you're going to be if you're going to be sort of someone who's you know, sort of a you know, like a like a, I don't know, left liberal or whatever, then you can't really see it. If you're going to be someone who's a left liberal, then especially on foreign policy stuff, you kind of can't really push your politics beyond the water's edge, except in ways that line up with liberalism, which happen to be that you know, um, NATO is basically good. Uh, that China you know, is the, bad. Um, yeah, NATO good. China bad. Uh, war in Iraq. Um, War in Iraq now seen as regrettable, but you know we shouldn't really learn any lessons from it. Yeah. So I guess no. I'm I'm so sort of I'm so in the context of of of, of, of Britain. I mean uh, Afghanistan rather. Um. But yeah, like the, 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 all of these sort of you know international forever wars have been like regrettable but necessary. Um. Well, because you know, well, at least you know, with, with, because it doesn't matter sort of anything else. Saddam Hussein was still a dictator. You know, the, the Afghans were still being you know poorly treated or what have you. And you know, you're no matter no matter what else, it's very difficult for yeah someone who is sort of a for someone who is a left liberal to be adversarial about that because that's almost like well we all because what you really want is you want say i don't know canada to be a functioning liberal society which it is less and less and less and so that's where that's where a lot of the kind of you know at least like i think much much better critiques from canada land come which is you know it's not not necessarily even that i agree with it but like it sort of makes sense you know because it's it's sort of consistent whereas here it seems yeah like um jesse kind of is not able to confront the fact that like he sort of shifts right as soon as you get um, offshore, basically. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of borne out in, um, you know, Sandy Garasino's uh, critique of this whole, you know, this whole thing, the idea that maybe we should look into what the Michaels were actually doing in China. She, she thinks it's unadvisable to critique the narrative that the Michaels were, uh, I mean, she says abducted. I mean, which yeah. which kind of yeah, yeah. tells you exactly where she's coming from, like abducted and not arrested or apprehended, like mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and uh, uh, and that we shouldn't, uh, she says, we shouldn't dunk on people in solitary over, quote, curious photos and wisps of a conspiracy. And again, I would say like a picture of 
Michael Spavor with the head of the fucking DPRK mm-hmm. is not a curious photo. That is, I, w- no. I would say that's extraordinary. That is an extraordinary <laughs> photo. I don't know how many other private citizens in North America or Europe have a photo of them with the deer leader, you know? Well, I, I think it goes back to, um, the inability, to the inability to kind of think like a state, yeah. right? Where it just, and it sort of reckons, but harkens back as well to some of the stuff we were talking about about the cyber war episode and the cyber war events, where you, it's hard to think like a state when you're, when you're someone who kind of um, is, say, a partisan of a particular state, because it's hard to think that it's hard to think that we would do anything that um, that ordinary foreign po- that states do in the ordinary course of foreign policy, which is spying on one another. Yeah. States do it. Why do you think we have CSIS? Exactly. What, do you think, what, what the fuck do you think they do? <laughs> like this, this uh, they, is they, literally well, what they they're set, for. They set up uh, little contests to see who can come up yeah. with the best way <laughs> to stop Macedonian teenagers from making my uncle a uh, uh, protest at a hospital. <laughs> it's the and you know of all of the states that sort of would have CSIS assets in them, I'd say probably China's in the top like three. Yeah. So and China, China has been on a terror over the last ten years, like exposing uh, you know, foreign agents within its borders. Mm. It's so why and, and and if they're very good at identifying who the foreign agents are, why would they arrest two random guys? Exactly. Yeah. I mean. So, Especially when these two random guys have day jobs that reek of intelligence connection. And they're very public about it. That's, yeah. that's the and thing. If you're, is like, you know, the Canada Land uh, episode tries to wave this all away by saying, uh, this was reported on in international media, which kind of proves the point of the original thread uh, by Amy McPherson that started all of this, which is that hmm. it's reported on in international media and not reported on as uh strenuously and frequently in canadian media yeah of course for a reason because we don't want we don't want to admit that we're a normal state yes we don't want to admit that we are a normal state that does normal state things just like some people don't want to admit china's a normal state that does like oh china would never spy on on another country i just saber rattling if you're saying they are it's like well yeah a defense department person probably is saber rattling if they're saying that mm-hmm. but also like this is just what states do and this kind of I don't know, almost like um, uh, mindless denialism that just states act like states. And that often involves competing with one another. And that's this is one of the examples of how that's done. It's corrosive to, I think it's corrosive to, to look at that as a journalist and then take a left turn into like boilerplate China stuff about human, about human rights abuses, which is like, you know, it, that, that is, those are some vague waters to, to uh, wade into and wave things away with, mm. right? So, but, yeah. but this is not like, this is not uncommon for Canada Land on foreign policy. And I will say, like, I like Canada Land's domestic reporting. I like some of their domestic reporting. And I, I think that's what frustrates me about this so much is if I thought this media outlet was utterly useless, I wouldn't care. It would just be mm-hmm. another bad take on foreign policy by our uh, like calcified media here in Canada, right? But because mm-hmm. Canada Land has the potential, I think, to contextualize 
this stuff in a way that uh, no mainstream outlet would even think of touching, it makes it even more frustrating. And, mm. you know, it like they seem to terminally goof up on foreign policy and anything outside of our borders. Like mm. off the top of my head, just uh, their coverage of Trudeau's visit with Modi that failed to bring up his uh, very public fascist nationalist past, like a past mm-hmm. that had him banned from entering the United States. Uh, there's, uh, the Canada land episode with, uh, basically trying to explain it run to their listenership where they had McDonald Laurier, uh, Institute member, uh, Keve Sharuz on, who is a mm-hmm. regime change hawk. Uh, mm-hmm. their initial coverage on Freeland's grandfather being a, uh, like working at a Nazi newspaper. Uh, and then more recently, the accidental platforming of Ari Ben Menashe in his position as PR guy for the Burmese military junta, where he mm-hmm. essentially steamrolls uh, Jesse and gets off a bunch of very compelling points uh, <laughs> about Aung San Suu Kyi. And that conflict, of course, has devolved into basically a low-level civil war. So, like... Yeah, you know this seems to be a pattern. So, like, I I just figure like if if you have an adversarial media outlet that is outside the scope of influence, and you're curious about something that has a that's a mm-hmm. huge international story, but you're too busy or uninformed to dig into it, fucking hire someone. Like, <laughs> that's your job. <laughs> like, you know, at one point in the episode, Jesse says, "Prove to me he's a spy." Until you know, until someone is proven as a spy, uh, he's not a spy. And I'm kind of like, no, man, that's that's your job or the job of somebody you pay. Like, like, wouldn't yeah. it be great if someone could actually dig into that? And I think mm-hmm. I think that gets me to like like my actual you know my actual frustration with this. I've been thinking about this a lot. Is that mm-hmm. the case of our sweet, good, innocent Michaels, our yeah. best Michaels, is now. <laughs> too ratcheted up and polarized to ever get untangled like that's the depressing thing that this episode makes abundantly clear like even if someone does do an investigation into what our baby boys were doing in china to get themselves targeted for this like reciprocal arrest these findings mm-hmm. will immediately be dismissed as tankyism yeah from from the right and the left right mm-hmm. and here we have this we have our media mirroring our major political parties when it comes to foreign policy, global affairs, and like how we view ourselves in the world. It's this like monolithic gray enforcement of uh, sort of a status quo view that uh, that turns people against that well, that turns people against this Toronto-based media class, right? Like, well, it's, you know, you know what it is, right? It's, and I've seen this a lot. It turns in, in people Britain. into tankies. Like, Sorry. I mean, yeah. it turned, I, <laughs> yeah, I, what, what I was going to say is, is that, that monolithic sort of, uh, approach turns people into what the media class thinks tankies are, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's there, there's, I've sort of noticed this happening in Britain for a while and it seems to be happening in Canada now, which is that the role of the you know, liberal, the specifically liberal journalist ever since the last, since the last few years has been primarily as a fighter of disinformation rather than someone who has an adversarial relationship with institutions. That's a really good point. Yes. They see themselves mainly as a counterweight to public exuberances that they think are uh, stupid 
and not and not uh, inappropriate and uh, that that are dangerous. Yeah. And so their job is to make the truth clear so that the many misguided people may have access to the truth from the good journalists instead of the bad Moldovan teenagers, which is kind of or like, you know, viral memes or whatever. And I th- it's like it's a way of reacting to sort of new ways information is flowing or not so new now, but, you know, ways that information has been flowing sort of in the last 10 years. Um, while sort of instead of seeing sort of institutions as the enemy, getting access to institutions as the prize and seeing the sort of undifferentiated mass of uh, people online as the enemy. Yeah. And and so if you're going to be primarily a fighter of disinformation rather than a um, a, a sort of, uh, you know, um, someone who has an adversarial relationship with the institutions you're covering, then you're going to end up going to bat for those institutions more often than not, if only because you're going to, your first instinct is that um, an un, a story that doesn't feel believable probably isn't, and it's your job to defend the truth from, enthusias- from public enthusiasm mm-hmm. rather than to rather than to um prize it out of the uh sort of hands of institutions yeah 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 absolutely this idea well they're not a spy until you prove to me they're a spy it's like well hang on a second shouldn't a journalist be kind of um questioning the official narrative of the uh of of say the canadian government yes like um and that only and only if you have sort of sort of seen yourself if you have already drawn the battle lines and you've kind of put authoritarian regimes whatever that means on the other side of it along with um dum-dums on twitter who are like you know sharing anti-vax stuff and whatever but also you've put you know like anti-imperialists on the other side of that because they're tankies or whatever what you've really done is you've sort of seen yourself as this last guard of an embattled kind of liberalism that you know is nevertheless sort of still very much you know, in power, say, in, in Canada, in the U.S. Yes. So it hasn't really been shaken a lot of other places. Their hands but, are all over the levers of power. They have yeah. not been dislodged. Like, But you, you see yourself as embattled, if only because, you know, you're... I mean, you've sort of told... You've all told yourselves that you're embattled. And so, you know, now it's... Now, I think that's why a lot of people feel that a lot of, especially liberal journalists aren't really on their side unless they come from a sort of similar socioeconomic background, you know? Yeah. That's it's yeah. kind of, kind of my, that, that, that's my, here's what I reckon hypothesis anyway. I think, I think what makes me really emotional about th- uh, these kind of stories or this kind of approach to uh, analyzing these stories is that back in 2015, 2016, when, uh, the Russiagate narrative leaked into Canadian discourse via uh, an employee of Canada land, I think was one of, one of the biggest proponents of this, you know, uh, mm-hmm. pushing this narrative in, in Canada. Once, once this Russiagate, I see Russiagate as a test run uh, for how much bullshit liberals are willing to swallow from the state, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and post Russiagate, I think it kind of created the landscape that you're talking about like yeah 100%. it basically it basically acted as a bulldozer uh to clear away uh any remnants of like adverse adversarial uh journalism on foreign politics that was left over from like our 
are forever worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we want to talk about the first segment again, almost like what's a better example of cognitive warfare than, you know, cognitive warfare being carried out by the state against its, uh, by, you know, by, by, you know, the, let's say the state and regime friendly journalists. <laughs> Witting or unwittingly uh, regime friendly. And because I don't want to just be a, a sour uh, dunkapus. Dunkapus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go with Sour dunkapus. dunkapus. I would say, you know, there's a way out of this. There's a very mm-hmm. simple way out of this, which is for outlets like Canada Land to apply the same kind of like dogged rigor that they applied to say they're reporting on uh, the We Charity scandal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, apply that to foreign policy. Apply that to uh why we're spending so much money in ukraine apply that to why we're spending money on fighter jets and every single party thinks it's a great idea and and, and in some cases you know you you might end up feeling like you have to take the side of a regime you don't like yeah and i don't know what's more important (laughs) (laughs) it seems like Like, a very simple answer right like (laughs) (laughs) you'd think so uh you would think so yeah um speaking of taking sides shall we shall we drift sort of softly yeah into the comfortable landing of our third and final topic for today let's do it let's do it uh because it is it, and i i think that this we may do this sort of again sort of in the coming months as we just sort of learn more about the uh wild and wonderful cast of wackos that uh uh, uh, uh makes up the uh, uh people's party of canada uh, we have both brought People's Party of Canada parliamentary candidates um, to class today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we are going to play pogs uh, with them. Uh, we are going to play pogs with them, and we're going to see who gets to take home who's PPC candidate. Yes, um, I I have one uh, called um, uh, Mario Greco. Mario uh, and Greco. Dan, <laughs> Mario Greco. Uh, he is uh, running in Vaughn Woodbridge. And Dan, uh, you've got one called Mark Hecht. Mark Hecht. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Hecht. Yep. That's from your from your native Cowichan. Yeah, he is running a PPC candidate for Cowichan Malahat, Mark Hecht. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay. Do you want to start with, uh, with uh, Mr. Mark and I'll take us home with uh, Mario? I could start with Mark. Um, okay, start me off with Mark. Um, so Mark was uh, brought to my attention by a, a mutual of mine on Twitter who lives uh, in that writing mm-hmm. and uh she uh she posted just a few pictures of the uh, campaign signs and uh and a few screenshots of a book that he wrote on um why invasions are good and why the europeans are the best at invasions um mm-hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> i mean to be fair you Europeans have been traditionally quite good at invasions, but uh, I guess the difference between us and them is we think that's not as good. Yeah, that's that's pretty <laughs> that's much a, it. That's less good. But while I, while I was looking at, uh, I was looking at his name. I was like, where do I recognize this name from? I know I recognize this bizarre Germanic, uh, Germanic name, and then it hit me. Uh, back in 2019, Mark Hecht uh, wrote a piece for the Vancouver Sun titled ethnic diversity harms a country's social trust economic well-being <laughs> uh uh-huh. yeah 
the the lead to this uh refers to him as a professor which he is not he is a geography educator um and <laughs> who does he educate uh he educates students in geography uh-huh mm-hmm. is that a high school <laughs> teacher eh, it's but a high school teacher um he so this this article was so racist that uh mm-hmm. not only did the Vancouver Sun retract it, uh they yeah. also printed an apology. So So he literally wrote an article that got a uh post media outlet to apologize for being racist. Yes. I mean I'll just read uh-huh. I'll just I'll just read uh a little bit here. If a country wants diversity, expect enclaves to form. This might work out fine in the long run, as it has in Switzerland. Or Mm -hmm. it might turn into a bloody mess, as it repeatedly does in the Balkans. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always worried that, like, I don't know, like, some or another, like, immigrant community in Toronto is, like, going to declare a protracted people's war against another. What the fuck is this guy talking about? See, I mean, he's the geography... uh, uh, not professor. He's the geography instructor, not you, Riley. So I think okay, I think he knows enough. a That's little true. thing about the Balkans. And you know, if I've learned anything about Balkans, it's that uh, it's that like just successive waves of immigration caused um, caused a violent civil war, not the collapse of a uh, socialist system and uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, different types of colonial occupation and population mm-hmm. transfer. Nope, that's right. It's just people together with uh, different customs and languages. That's it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes on, uh, is excluding certain people from society a requirement? The short answer is absolutely. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Let's do let's do Fortress Canada, which is incredible. It's like, like the Fortress Canada thing is popular among like. Such a small, it, it's, he's, what's doubly stupid here is that he's like, um, he, he is, he's not, there's no constituency in Canada for this at all. <laughs> no one wants to do, no one wants this. Um, he goes on, uh, the long and more reasonable answer is that if you do let people into your country, then make sure they hold similar values, compatibility. Okay. Uh, make sure they want to fit into your society fully and co- completely. Cohesion. With these two requirements satisfied, and with a sprinkle of Protest- Protestantism. <laughs> a, What's up? Just a sprinkle of Protestantism. Excuse me? That came totally out of nowhere, by the way. Wait, what's a sprinkle of Protestantism? I don't what, does, what makes it different from a dash or a cup? <laughs> <laughs> or like a leader just a not a soup son of protestantism that sounds catholic mm. that's well, uh, you know, what you should do is um you have to rinse out the glass with the protestantism dump that out yes. and then you pour in the chilled gin from the shaker yeah. and that's pretty much the right amount you got to put the protestantism in a uh, in an atomizer and just kind of spray it over top of the finished uh oh i see you're one of these bars all right well okay <laughs> I think I might be taking my business elsewhere because uh, despite what I thought when I was say, 17, that is some dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, truly incredible. Truly, truly incredible stuff. And so this guy's running... Um, this guy's... Uh, I mean, the People's Party of Canada is 
one of these guys where it's like they do a social media check to see if you haven't like used the n-word in the call of duty lobbies and if you haven't you can't be a ppc yeah basically i mean and you know that's not just his only like he's uh, he uh, that article disappeared uh he sort of made a vague attempt to distance himself from it online um but then in february of this year he published another article titled the strange effect of internment camps why would you bother writing that how on earth could how on earth could you not know that this would be sort of um let's say unpopular for among people who want to have a public life Uh oh right how could you not know what what drives you to write maybe internment camps were good what what level of delusion are you at about just sort of what's generally can not even what's right or wrong but like just what you kind of know if you want to kind of have a career in public life what is vaguely considered to even be like acceptable in polite society but what what addled mind decides to write this and then run for office i don't get it uh well i mean here's a glimpse into this addled mind i'll just i'll just read uh i'll just read two paragraphs from this uh, the mm-hmm. parallel between two wars involving Germany and Japan is that the two respected ethnic groups in Canada had been labeled as enemies and forced to choose their loyalties. The experience of an internment camp thrust a pivotal choice on each group that required a transcendent crossing of a cultural threshold. Mm-hmm. That, that, was, yeah. that was the choice those people were uh, facing in the internment camps, I guess. Yep, yep. Uh, it's to finally become culturally Canadian. The choice was to start getting a double double and spending Canadian tire money. Would they would they hold steadfast to an identity rooted in their cultures of origin or relinquish it in order to accept the new one? Both, in the end, chose the new over the old. They chose Canadian. I think being imprisoned in a camp sort of uh, mm. takes away choice. That is that is yeah, well, it's, uh, the negation of, is kind of that is the negation of choice by definition. And, I mean, the, as well, like these guys all just just look like such fucking pussies too. Oh yeah, like I'm looking at a I'm looking at a picture of him. He cannot tie. He's a combination of cannot tie a tie <laughs> and looks like he is sort of made of water balloon. Yes, he looks like such a massive fucking pussy. Yeah, water balloon filled with like a, a mixture of flour and water, kind of. Yeah perfect looks like translucently white um and fungus person yeah yeah exactly like this this is a like it's always guys who look like this as well just who look like who look like their lips kind of go when they try to like talk to you uh, it is just the most repellent looking people I've ever seen. And if you um, if you uh, guessed that uh, this guy has a, a familial origin story that involves uh, part of his family bravely fleeing uh, Soviet occupied Germany, uh huh, <laughs> you'd be correct. <laughs> yeah, God, these people seem to keep popping up. It's so huh? weird. It's so weird how this keeps happening. Okay. Well, shall shall we look at the other type of um of a people's party because that's the one type of people's party candidate, right? Yeah. The kind who like sort of projects projects almost an air of intellectualism, but um, oh, but and is kind of a, a nerd. But then you know I don't know posts on Curtis Yarvin forums or whatever. Yeah. I've found the other type of people's party of Canada candidate. I've just sent it to your WhatsApp. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! So oh boy! Oh boy! Um, 
I mean, we are ignoring the third type, which is the uh, breathing through your balls guy. But uh, no, that guy's cool. Oh, what? Are, there are three types. Huh? Why am I looking at a what appears to be a child's drawing of the uh, Pepe beam <laughs> on a on a whiteboard, and it says "Free Kekistan Re." Well, that's because this was a high school contrarian um, who is just a 4chan poster ah. uh, who um, is pictured at the top of this article making the okay gesture, also wearing a suit with a poorly knotted tie, but like with it's almost like anachronistic emo hair and a Make America Great Again hat, but he lives in Vaughn Woodbridge. <laughs> so the, the perfect, a perfect People's Party of Canada candidate. Someone who is a Canadian nationalist who loves America. <laughs> um, specifically Donald Trump. Um, anyway, what's uh, controversial about him is that, and part of his like degree product at uh, the University, uh, University of Ontario Institute of Technology um, he made like a Newgrounds flash game <laughs> where, <laughs> where like you basically um, shoot uh, uh, you shoot lasers at like pride parade marchers or whatever. Oh, nice. Wow. But he says, no, no, you're not shooting them and killing them. These because like, oh, that's the thing. All the other thing is like these guys, because they they're raised in an environment of right wing self-talk, they've all convinced themselves that like words are kind of like a magic spell you can use to get out of trouble. Right. And so it's like, no, you're not killing them. They're helpful lasers and you're sending them to happy land. So the game is about an alien order to invade Earth and transport all humans to Happy Land. He's also authored a game called Demauer about a young misunderstood <laughs> hero who seeks to liberate a post-war Germany from Soviet rule. Oh, well, then, so there's the connection between him and Hecht, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's, yeah, so it's, again, it's, but I think it's very funny that, like, he go, it, this is someone who is, it, it's the perfect kind, I think, of, of annoying university contrarian mm -hmm. who is sort of makes a big deal about um about how like who basically it wants to put up his hand in class and and you know say something about fbi crime statistics uh, which you get in canada wants to say something about fbi crime statistics <laughs> um and 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 sort of likes to it li likes to sort of trigger people by being like, ah, I'm drawing the Kekistan for people who like have just been posting about like wanting to go fishing with their friends ever since, yeah. um, you know, uh, 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 Biden won. Like someone who is just, yeah, this um, a, like, you know, 4chan bedroom fascist. Um, uh, and, you know, it's the, 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 uh, the, the and, 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 and Again, like it seems like the People's Party wants you to have some kind of an insane skeleton in your closet. <laughs> yeah, it's almost a requirement. Like, yeah, well, it's like it's a little bit like I think that that, that especially with sort of this round of round of parliamentary candidates. Now that like, and by the way, like the People's Party of Canada kind of was taken seriously by the media when we thought it was like going to be like, well, I guess we we have to take seriously the idea that we're going to have a Trump. We didn't. The whole thing was a damp squib. Um, and you know, the, um, but it seems like now we seem to be nevertheless, uh, uh, sort of committed to the idea of taking them seriously just because they're there, because you don't have any idea of anything else to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but fucking, fucking John Ibbotson, 
uh, alleged national treasure John Ibbotson being like, ah, well, you know, the People's Party of Canada, they'd better win some seats or, you know, you're not going to like what happens next. You know, nice democracy there it would be shame if like these wet looking idiots were to try to like, you know, go and occupy Sussex Drive and then just wait around for a video game cutscene to start. <laughs> John Ibbotson, a national treasure, according to a uh, guy who's never wrong about anything, Justin Lang. Uh, John Ibbotson similarly never wrong about anything uh no never one time published the big shift seismic change in canadian politics business and culture and what it means for our future uh predicting he published this in 2013 predicting a uh full steam ahead for the canadian right and like sort of the mm -hmm. death of uh eastern liberalism at least yeah you know, toronto quebec-based liberalism Bzzzt, wrong did not come to pass, <laughs> did not happen, somehow is a national treasure, somehow still has a job. Uh, yeah. Still gets to dribble out whatever fucking thought is just rattling around in his skull and then have people, uh, you know, critique it as if it is something that should be taken seriously and not just uh, crumpled up and thrown in the garbage. To be clear, the article where he says the Canadian People's Party is should be treated as inside the mainstream of Canada's sort of political firmament, even though it is extremely unpopular. Um, you nevertheless do not want these people to not have representation in Parliament because they don't have representation in Parliament. Then we'll get a January sixth situation, but you know here, basically, that's like the thrust of the article as I could see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm just gonna read two things from the article. This is so. Mm -hmm. This is uh, from when the article was originally published. There are plenty of reasons why people have become resentful and untrusting. The loss of manufacturing jobs due to offshoring, the increasing number of non-European immigrants, the stress mm -hmm. of the pandemic, the self... What's that second one? Oh, sorry. Uh, it, he said um, with loss of manufacturing jobs due to uh, offshoring. Mm -hmm. And then, and then um, he says uh, the increasing number of non-European immigrants... Ah, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that was the original. Uh, that was the original text of the article, mm -hmm. uh, which was then edited uh, to say this: uh, people have become resentful and untrusting over the loss of manufacturing jobs. They are stressed from the pandemic. Some of them resent the increasing number of non-European uh, immigrants. This is racist, but it is how they feel, and they enjoy the self-empowerment mm. that comes from rejecting authority. So yeah, and it's like, I don't know, that's true, but for your, um, but for your sort of, uh, for your assumption to be, well, this just arises naturally, I suppose it couldn't, or all of these things just sort of happened. And I guess if you're going to do them, you're going to get fascism. So you might as well, you know, usher it into the halls of power so that it can be, you know, um, uh, uh, sort of tamed by exposure to institutions, which, by the way, has always happened in the past. Um, yeah, then, famously, yeah, you should, famously. Yeah. Uh, fascism loves to be tamed by exposure to uh, and proximity to real power. <laughs> um, just, just the idea that, like, these people need to be taken seriously. Why? Because, like, the People's Party of Canada was taken seriously in the past? Like, is there any reason other than just, I want to take them seriously? No. Right? No, there is no, there is no reason. And there's also absolutely no reason to defend any of this, you know? Yeah. Or to refer to Ibbotson as a national treasure. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just... 
I think this election is driving a specific type of media person insane and then by proxy driving me insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's that you know, you've said this to me before. It's like you it, it, it's shown the extent to which the sort of um, internal conversation in Canadian media has just become so insanely removed from from the sort of from the experiences of most people that they're at this point like with the with the ppc thing especially it just seems like they're trying to keep playing the songs they know but no one really cares yeah yeah exactly i mean i it's not surprising that ibitson has also published five or six articles that are pretty much identical to the aaron o'toole is doing socialism article you know Mm -hmm. yeah because it's right because he is because that's what socialism is because he's doing that's what he's doing uh, this is such. This is so smart. I love being from such a smart country. <sighs> well, look. I mean, at least we've got uh, the NDP's Animal Crossing Island. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be good enough, I suppose. It's great. God damn. Hey, I'll be oh, in the mod pod. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 right. I am ascending beyond uh, these these paltry conversations. I will be uh, I will be accessing my third eye. I will be growing a thousand virtual arms to block and report misinformation from Baltic <laughs> teenagers, from Russian teenagers, from Chinese teenagers, all the people we fucking hate. I'm on it. I'm defending yeah. democracy from the pod. Kids get off the lawns of our house on Animal Crossing. That's right. Uh, all right. So from our house here in the Mod Pod. Uh, to your house in whatever mod pod you're living in. Thank you very much for listening to The Bottleman. Don't forget, we have a Patreon. $7 Canadian. Seven sweet little Somalians. Just the number of Michaels there are, plus five more mm-hmm. dollars Canadian, can get you a second episode every week. This week, uh, we are going a little bit back in time, exploring what it meant to be a touring musician in the in Europe in the 2000s uh, because I was just there and I was interested in why you kept insisting that Italy was bad and I learned why that was. Great place Uh, to visit. Wouldn't want to work there. (laughs) So with all that being said, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to those who subscribe. Uh, I encourage you to subscribe to those who don't and we'll see you in a couple of days. Bye. Ciao. Grazie. (laughs) 